Will you join me, brothers and sisters, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8? That's 2 Corinthians 3, 8. Reading to you out of the King James Bible here, it says, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? And I have it here in my notes in the New International Version as well. It says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And I'd like to talk to you about the glorious ministry of the Spirit this morning. And I want to give glory to God. I want to praise His name. I want to honor Him. And God give me grace to do so. By the way, about the food pantry yesterday, the number was down a little bit from what we usually do, 178 clients each getting a package of many meals. But I've got to say, on a morning like yesterday, with all that snow and the bad roads and so on, for 178 people to show up here, there is a need in our community. Those, those are needy people, and I thank God that we're able to support them. Amen. Praise God. But uh, this verse here, verse 8, is from a brief passage in the Bible that goes from verse 7 to verse 18 that contrasts the glory of the old covenant that we know as Judaism and the law of Moses contrasts it with the glory of the Christian way and Jesus. Uh, I'm sure you all realize that in our book here, our Bible, we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament is the uh, holy scriptures of Judaism. And we still hold to them, we still find them dear, and we still teach out of them. They have a lot to say to us. But then with Jesus came uh, another book, another installment, so to speak, the New Testament, including the Gospels, praise God. And the uh, uh, transition from the Old Covenant and in in the Scriptures of the Old Testament to the New Covenant with Jesus and the New Testament is contrasted here. It's contrasted in four ways. Verses 7 and 8 contrast a ministry, the old ministry, that produced death with the ministry of the Spirit, praise God, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the agent of God on the earth right now. Verse 9 contrasts the ministry that condemns with the ministry that produces righteousness. The Old Testament condemned. The New Testament produces an acquittal for the people of God. A verdict of innocent, that we don't deserve, of course. Amen? Verse 11 contrasts a ministry that was temporary. It has now faded away. It has now been eclipsed. It was temporary and it ended with the ministry that endures. The new covenant is a ministry that endures. And I'm taking my time here because I realize that your eyes are going from me down to your Bibles and you're kind of reading along and checking me out, which is very good. Always check me out. Check me out, and if I get outside of the Word of God, throw me out. Let's stick with the Word of God, amen? Verses 13 to 18 contrast a veiled or concealed ministry with the gospel, which is a free and open ministry. Veiled or concealed versus free and open. And brothers and sisters, we in Christ, we serve as ministers of the Holy Spirit. Ministers who show people how to become innocent in the eyes of God. Ministers who serve an eternal spiritual project 
inaugurated by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know how you can have a a light in the nighttime, a light in your living room or a flashlight or the, the lights on the front of your automobile. And they seem so bright at night. All of these lights seem so bright. But then as the sun comes up and the sun takes its place at noonday, all of those lights seem to almost disappear. And they lose their brightness because the brightness of the sun eclipses them, outshines them. And this is what has taken place with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation by faith. The light that was the Old Testament and the law of Moses, which gave light in a dark world, has now been eclipsed by a much, much brighter glory. The glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Our uh, glorious ministry in Christ, it's, it's the same for all Christians everywhere, a, a glorious ministry. It's not just better than the old. We're not playing the game, my religion is better than your religion. Not at all. The truth is that Christ's ministry is clearly and by great signs, to be God's ministry. This is the doing of God, and God gets all the glory for it. We want to praise Him. We give Him glory for what He has accomplished because He has brought in the new covenant with great signs, the greatest of which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a resurrection of a mortal body to an immortal, incorruptible body that still sits at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Amen? It's a God-given, God-ordained step in the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation. And we don't only have signs and wonders giving this ministry glory that are 2,000 years old. We have those, those wonderful 2,000-year-old signs and wonders, the, the resurrection, the chiefest of all the signs, but all the healings that Jesus did, all the wonders that the Lord did to support the apostles as they spread the word of God. But we have these signs occurring right among us today. Because the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is still doing these signs. Healings, Change lives. New life coming into the hearts of human beings. And it is God that makes the ministry glorious. We praise him. He has done this, not ourselves. He has answered our prayer. God has found us, drawn us, empowered us, chosen us, saved us. God has done a great thing. We haven't done a great thing. God has done a great thing. You don't want to know about what I've done. And to be honest with you, I don't really want to know about what you've done. Because it is God that has been mighty among us. It is what God has done. And this is glorious. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the glorious ministry of the Spirit in uh, two topics, covering two topics. The first one is being born again. This is the work of God's Spirit. We are born of the Spirit of God, and I'd like to talk to you about being born again. And second of all, I'd like to talk to you about uh, the expressions of the glorious ministry of the Spirit that we find in the book of Ephesians. Clearly, in our home fellowships, we are studying the book of Ephesians 
from the first verse of it to the last, and I can, I can hear it coming from your mouths. You're confessing the promises and the realizations and the important uh, thoughts in the book of Ephesians. Praise God. Wonderful. Like I said, first I want to talk to you about being born again. Spiritually reborn. Born, literally born a second time. Literally, not physically. You have to be born the first time physically. But then we have to be born a second time spiritually. Literally, spiritually. Don't confuse the terms literally and physically. They're not synonymous. You have to be born literally physically. And then you have to be Born a second time, literally, spiritually. This is a literal second birth. A spiritual second birth. This is not figurative language. This is not poetry. This is not literature. We're talking about you have to be born of the Spirit. Literally born of the Spirit. Amen? A good way to contrast the old covenant And the new is to look at a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. There is Jesus, the new, talking face to face with Nicodemus, a representative of the old. The new talking in a conversation with the old. We might say, Christianity talking with Judaism. We might say, having our sins washed away by the move of God's Spirit, talking to the condemnation of the law. If you will, go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 3. I want to express myself this morning boldly and clearly. Our God has done a mighty work in his people. His ministry is glorious. Hallelujah. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to see the kingdom of God. You're not even going to appreciate the kingdom of God as it is manifested here in this world. You won't won't really be able to appreciate it until you're born again. Now Jesus starts this statement in the King James. We read, verily, verily. This is... uh, a translation of the Greek, amen, amen, which is Greek borrowing from Hebrew. These are two, this is a word that everybody all over the world, no matter what language they speak, we, I have a lot of South Korean friends who speak uh, South Korean. How do they say amen? They say amen. How do people from Africa say it? Amen. How do people from Asia say it? Amen. It's amen, amen. It means verily, verily, truly, truly. The Greeks borrowed it. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's see how Nicodemus, representative of the old, responds to him. Nicodemus saith unto him, verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Here is a totally different mindset than Jesus has. Jesus says, you want to see the kingdom of God? You must be born again. Nicodemus says, I can't do that. How do I do that? I can't. How can I? Because the old mindset is always, how can I? The new mindset is, God can. 
The Jesus mindset is God will. God can. All things are possible with God. The old mindset is I can't. I have to. I must. Nicodemus says, I can't do that. That's because his religious culture and his entire mindset were devoted to doing things. That's Judaism. Judaism is all about doing things. You are presented a law, a law that you must do, that you must perform. Your salvation is all dependent on what you do. So Nicodemus is being thrown for a loop here. You must be born again. I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't understand it. If you're a rabbi and you're a teacher of people how to get to God, tell us what to do. Obey the commands. That's all that Nicodemus ever taught. It's all he ever meditated on. It's all he ever considered to be important. And Jesus is not totally different than Nicodemus, but he is different in an incredibly important way. Of course, the things we do, the commandments we obey, are very important to Jesus too. But for Jesus, the most important thing is not about what we do. And he's saying to Nicodemus, don't you understand that? Don't you get that? We have to have a beginning that's a spiritual birth. And that is more about what God is doing than what we have done. What did God give you? What did God do? How did God intervene? You can't give yourself a new birth. I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about frustrating you. It's the truth. God has to move in our lives. God has to intervene in our lives. It's not about you following certain steps and following a certain pathway and and living within a certain formula. It's about, it's got to start with God. What he does. And this is what I mean. And what I believe that the Apostle Paul means when he says, the ministration of the Spirit is glorious. It's glorious because it's all about what God does. He's the hero of it. He's the star of the show. He is the one who makes it possible. He makes it happen, not us. Nicodemus didn't like it. And we might not like it either. Because we can't do it. We're now relying on God. We're now dependent on Him. We're now waiting for Him to do something. We're not in control of this. And when we're not in control of it, and God is in total control of it, guess who gets the glory? God gets the glory, not us. So what are we supposed to do? All right then, what are we supposed to do? Peter preached his first sermon to the people of Jerusalem, the people that were in Jerusalem, uh, after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And at the end of his sermon, the people said, okay, what do we do? We hear the truth that you're telling us. What do we do? He tells them, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, for the promises to you and to your children and to them that are afar off. Yeah, do something. Like I said, Jesus isn't totally different than Nicodemus. But he is different in an incredibly important way. I know I'm repeating myself. And that is, 
that Nicodemus, for Nicodemus, it's all about what we do. And for Jesus, it's what God does is in first place, in first position. Look, let me explain like this. We all have showers in our houses, right? We have, you have a shower in your bathroom? We've taken thousands of showers. In my lifetime, I've taken thousands of showers. I have to say that I don't believe that I have ever gotten into the shower since the time I was a little boy and turned on the valve, turned the valve for the water to come on and had the water not come on. And so you could get all dirty, right? You get all dirty from playing, running, sweating, working, accidents. Cooking will get you pretty dirty, greasy feeling. Just life will get you pretty dirty. And you go and you take take a shower to get cleaned up. And you turn the valve and the water comes on. Very reliable. Even if it doesn't work, call Lauren Plumbing. There you go. 478-6573. I don't know the number, really. I'm just... Call Lauren Plumbing, and before you know it, you'll be able to take a shower again. Do you think God is like that? Where you turn the valve, and God pours out on you and makes you clean and fresh. You think God is like that? You're going to put your hand on the valve and you're going to turn the valve and God is going to just flow forth on you. God lives in a pipe now? No. It's not about what you do. It's not about you turning the valve. God is more like rain than a shower. How does rain work? Where's the valve where you can turn on the rain? There is no valve to turn on the rain, is there? For all of our technological and scientific advancements, for all that we've studied and become smart about so many things, no one can make it rain in a certain place at will, can they? Everybody's in the same place. We've got to wait for the rain to come. We read in the Bible how Elijah prayed earnestly that the rain would stop, and it stopped. He had a word from the Lord to pray like that. And then after three years, Elijah prayed again. He prayed for the rain to come. It didn't come. He told his servant, go look. Go look in the sky. What do you see? The servant comes back. He says, nothing. Elijah prayed again. He tells the servant, go look again. And the servant ran and looked again. And the servant said, nothing. I don't see anything. The sky looks pure blue, not a cloud in the sky. There ain't no rain coming. And Elijah prayed again. And after enough times of praying, the servant went and looked. He probably went to the end of Mount Carmel, right up against the Mediterranean Sea, and looked west because that's where the weather comes from. And he says, whoa, there's a cloud the size of a hand. He told Elijah, and and Elijah knew, here it comes. Here comes the rain. You see, it wasn't like turning a valve on in the shower. It was like this. Pray to the one who has all power in heaven and earth. Pray, Pray to the king of the universe. Pray to the Lord of lords. And if he decides and he wills and he wants to be good to you and it's his decision, he will send the rain. You keep asking. You keep asking and you keep waiting. You keep asking, you keep looking, you keep waiting. And when God wants to do it, he will send the rain. Hallelujah. You will live. You will be blessed. You will be refreshed. And it won't be like walking into a shower and turning the valve. It's different. No wonder... Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? What do you think? Salvation is something you could turn on like a shower? Verse 7. Jesus says, marvel not. 
that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? He's getting stumped. You see, the old is stumped by the new. The old is confused by the new. In the old, everything was about us. We were the heroes of our own story because we obeyed God. We obeyed His law. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got to, the Spirit has got to go to work in you. Let's take the glory off of you and put the glory where it belongs on the Spirit. And here's the thing. Just like the wind blows where it wants to blow, the Spirit falls where He wants to fall. You are not in control. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul, when he became a Christian, he never said the sinner's prayer. He never went to an evangelical meeting where a wonderful preacher gave a moving message, you know, Billy Graham, and, he sa- and then they started singing, come as you are, and he didn't come down the aisle and kneel at the altar in order to give his life to the Lord. He never responded to an altar call. He never signed the roles of the church. Here's what happened. The man who wrote, the ministration of the Spirit is of greater glory. The man who wrote that was invaded by God. God invaded his life. God like sort of came out of nowhere like a, like a tornado that just blew from the west and came barreling in and knocked him down off of his high horse of pride. Notice it is not at all about what Paul did. He was doing all the wrong things. It was about what God did in his life. The beautiful saving reign of God came down in torrents and washed his dirty soul, washed his ugly soul, washed his hard-hearted soul, made the hard clay, the stone of his heart, by a pouring of of the Spirit, made it soft, made his heart tender. And when the rain came on his life and God invaded his life, he never again cared much for rituals. The wind blows where it wants to blow. You can ask for it, but you can't control it. We can say along with Nicodemus, how can these things be? But I want to tell you this morning that God is jealous over his glory. He ought not to share his glory. He is the one who won our salvation on Calvary's cross. He gets the glory. He's the hero of heaven. We're not the heroes of heaven. All the glory to him. He will get the glory for your salvation, not you. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. It says here, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, I am a free will preacher. I am a free will theologian. Not a, I'm not a theologian at all, really. But I'm a fr- I believe in the free will of man and the, and the uh, effects of the free will of man and the importance of the free will of man. The f- our free will is a necessary condition for a project of love. I've talked about the free will of man a lot. But I have to tell you, you cannot will yourself into heaven. 
You cannot will yourself into being born again. You cannot will. It is not about your willpower. Don't rob God of His glory. Let God have His glory and the glory He deserves. It is not about our will. It is not about our lineage. It is not about our church membership. It is about God who gives us new life. Amen? We are not born of the Spirit because we decide to be born of the Spirit. If we think so, we're taking too much glory to ourselves. It's not our parents. It's not our church that makes us born again. It is the wind of the glorious God. It blows where it wants to. You can apply for grace. You can pray for it. You can't take it. I'm not trying to frustrate you. I'm trying to encourage you to be sure that you have experienced the real thing. The true wind of God. We have many immigrants in our church. I love it, don't you? Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the people that you are sending to our church from the north and the south and the east and the west, from all over the world, all over the globe. You're sending them to join us as worshipers of Jesus Christ in a local church. I'm so happy that God is sending us immigrants. Many of you have applied. You applied for entrance into the U.S. And having applied, there, no matter what you do, you will not be able, you will not be the one to take the doorknob of the United States of America, the doorknob of a nation, and open it. You will not be able to do that. You can apply. You can do many things. You can fill out the papers. You can answer all the questions. You can go to the interviews. You can ask questions. You can take advice from other people. You can find sponsors in the U.S. You can take trips to the consulate. But in the end, you've got to wait. You've got to wait for a great power to tell you, yes, you may come in. You may come into this nation. You could say, when the time is getting long, when it seems like you're waiting a long time and one year goes by and two years go by, you could say, well, I filled out all the papers. My goodness, I took the trips. It was very expensive and inconvenient to take a train halfway across the country in order to go to the U.S. consulate. Then I had to wait in line a long time. I've done everything that was expected of me. I answered every question in detail. I did that. I did it honestly. But I will tell you something. You will not decide if the door opens to you. If the door opens to the United States, you will have to wait for the United States to send you a message, to send you, yes, you are accepted. You can come in. The door is open. This is what it's like to come to the kingdom of God. Who, who puts his hand on the doorknob? You? Me? I'm telling you that door belongs to God and God alone. We can apply. And we've got to wait for the Spirit to come and give us new birth. We do not turn a valve and the water pours out. We do not say a certain prayer and guarantee ourselves entrance into the kingdom of God. Oh, we believe that God is good. We believe He's generous. He's much better than we are. Jesus said, ask your Father for the Holy Ghost. You're evil, but you know how to give good gifts to your children. Don't think for one second that God won't give good gifts to you. So he says, pray and believe that God is good and God will answer your prayer. But don't ever take for granted the Spirit of God. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever think you're the one in control. Don't ever think, I can turn up the Spirit a little bit and I can turn down the Spirit a little bit. I will tell you, do what you can. 
to put yourself in a place where God can work in your life and God's Spirit can fall on you, come to church more, read your Bible more, spend more time in your prayer closet, fellowship with other Christians like iron sharpens iron. But in the end, it's going to be God who falls on you like rain. Oh Lord, we're waiting for you. We need you. We stand in need. Romans 9.16 says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You know, the apostle uses running quite a lot in his writings, how Christians should run and run with endurance and run to win and run with discipline. He uses running as an analogy for our Christian life quite a lot. But in the end, he says, it is not of him that runneth, but it is of God who shows mercy. The power of God can be all around you, Only God will decide if the power comes in you. Give him all the glory. It may require your application. Although Paul did not apply, he did not say a prayer, he did not respond to an altar call, he was invaded by God and he had to accept the invasion. What did I know as a sinner? I had my favorite sins that I went back to time and time again. I had some little inkling of a guilty conscience about them, but I will tell you, I was very good at overcoming that guilty conscience. I was very good at hardening my heart and continuing in my favorite sins. And as time was going along, I was adding to my repertoire of sins. I was always willing and up for it if I was going to explore another sin. What did I do to open the door of heaven to Brian Rossine? What did I do? I did nothing that would give me one, one little spark of glory. God invaded my life, opened my heart, softened me inside, made me care about my conscience transformed my habits, made my goals and interests totally different, showed me my purpose for living. I didn't do any of these things. God did these things. To him be all the glory. You can grow up in the church and think it's all about you and your free choice, your will, That you will let God in or keep God out. Whatever you want. You can think that because God is very gracious and he's very patient with us. And the power of God is all around us. But I will tell you that sooner or later, you must learn that the wind blows where the wind wants to blow. The rain falls where the clouds bring it. Not you. You will be dependent on God and give Him all the glory. May we not, as the years go by, start taking God's glory away from Him and giving it to ourselves. We've done this and we've done that. Our testimony should not start with the word I. Our testimony should not start with the word my. Our testimony should start with the word God and with the word Jesus. Here's what God did. Here's what Jesus did. Amen? We must not be proud. Nicodemus was proud. God's ministry is glorious. The point is that we do not and we will not get anywhere spiritually without the power of God. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the book of Ephesians and the stress in the book of Ephesians on God's power and God's work. If you join me in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. 
Praise God for all of your, the buzz in the church about the book of Ephesians as we study it in our home fellowships. We study it in our home fellowships. Bring your Bible to your home fellowships. Talk about the Word of God verse at a time. Dig into the, the, the verses and, and refine your understanding of the Word of God. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. There it is, the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's putting a lot of focus on God, isn't it? That's putting a lot of reliance upon God, not upon us. Now Paul is applying. He's applying for God to move by praying. That's what we do. We apply to God. He is the one that answers our cry. Praying in and of itself isn't going to do much good. It's the answer to prayer. That's what we need. And these are the riches of His glory, not the riches of our glory. This is to be strengthened with might by His Spirit, not by our own spirits. How many of us can testify of the great change that came into our desires, our habits, our attitudes, and our goals when we came to Christ? It was like the Lord flipped the switch. You couldn't do it if you tried. You couldn't change your attitudes if you tried. Maybe you did try and fail. Maybe you hated yourself because of the way you were, and you couldn't change yourself. But God came along, invaded your life, and He changed you. Praise God. The Lord flips the switch. A heart goes from hard to soft and tender. It's amazing. To God be all the glory. Chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. He says, I was made a minister. I'm not a self-made minister. I'm not a self-made man. I didn't rise up through the ranks. Don't say it like that. Don't say you put in your time. Don't say it like that. Don't say you did this and you did that and you went to this school and you went through these steps and you went through this process and so now you're a minister of the grace of God. Oh no, God has to make you a minister. By his grace, by his hand, don't take away his glory. We should get our hands off of his glory, amen? His glory belongs all to him. He is the hero. In my experience in Christ, I found times uh, working in the Lord where there was just so much energy and so much determination inside me. I know it did not come from me. It came from Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but God. You see, that's how a testimony should start. Right there. He knows how to testify. This apostle knows how to testify. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. He made us alive. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to boast about. Our testimony starts with Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Are you thinking? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. What a book. What a book about the power of God. Ephesians 4, 7. But unto every one of us, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You see, that's how we minister. That's how we do our work. And let me finish today pointing out to you Psalm 2, verse 12. It's the first 
messianic psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm 2. Very powerful psalm, messianic psalm. And verse 12 says, kiss the son. Brothers and sisters, kiss the son. Kiss the son. Psalm 2, 12 says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Kiss the Son, Jesus Christ. Kiss him. Give him all glory. Bow before him. Praise his name. Give him thanks. Never take him for granted. Never think that you have the valve in your hand to be able to turn on and turn off the blessing of God in your life. Obey Him with love. Obey Him with a kiss. Kiss the Son lest He be angry. Jesus won our salvation. He deserves all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. Hallelujah. We would not even choose Him if not for Him. He came for us. He took the initiative. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is the hero of heaven. We should bow before Him. We should kiss Him. We should give Him the glory He deserves. We should kiss His feet. If you are saved, Jesus is your hero. You are not your hero. He is the one that has done something great, not you. Our testimony should start with God and with Jesus. We should seek to get rid of pride and self-sufficiency and independence and self-reliance. It might make you feel uncomfortable, but it's the thing to do. When we put ourselves into the hands of God, we put ourselves in no better, safer place, no place where we will be more ourselves and the person God wants us to be. We should throw off all pride of accomplishment. We should throw off all comparing ourselves to other people. Kiss the sun! We must do something to be saved. No doubt about it. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I never have been. I've gone to great lengths to explain my position relative to Calvinism. I'm not a Calvinist, yet what we do is of so much smaller concern than what God does. It is like the old and the new. We've got to get past where Nicodemus was at, who was just not understanding it and was just just struggling with it so much. Why don't you tell me what I need to do? What is this talk about being born? What is this talk about wind? You may be trying to serve God with your own strength, and you may be getting worn out. You need rain. You need rain in a time of spiritual drought. You can't just go into the church anytime you want and flip a switch and have the rain come pouring down. You've got to apply to God and wait. So if you find yourself in need of spiritual power, if you find yourself today in need of the spiritual ministration that is conducted by Jesus Christ with so much glory... I will ask you just to, we'll open up the front here for a time of prayer. You can come and respond to the Lord. You can surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Apply for the grace of God. And I'll tell you what, I have faith that God will meet you. I have faith that God in His goodness, He will meet you. He won't leave you alone. He won't leave you to struggle. He won't leave you to quit. He won't leave you. He will come and He will minister to you. I believe it because He's so good. Amen? Hallelujah. Oh God, You have poured out Your Spirit upon us so many times. You have saved us, so many of us, oh Lord God. You have invaded our lives, oh God, when we didn't know what side was up and what side was down, oh God. Oh Lord, You have been so good, oh God. Oh Lord, You have been so gracious, oh God. 
Oh, Lord, you, your love is poured out upon us like a, like a flow, oh God, like a rain, like a wonderful rain, oh God. And oh, Lord, it is the last days and we pray, oh God, that the latter rain would come down and make us fruitful for you, oh Father God. Oh, Lord, that the rain would pour down upon us again, oh God, that the eyes of our heart would be opened, oh God, that we would trust you with all of our hearts, oh God, that we would lean upon you entirely and completely, O God, that we would do your will till we breathe our last, O Father God. O Lord, pour out your Spirit upon us. Pour out your Spirit upon this congregation, O God. O Lord, let your Spirit come upon this congregation, and then from it another and another and another, O God. O Lord, from one Christian to another, from one congregation to another, O God, we know you care. We have total trust that you care. We have total trust that you're there. Oh, that you have the power, O God. Oh, Lord, let us not hold back anything. Let us not hold back at all, oh, Lord. Oh, God, move upon us in a mighty way. Move upon us, oh, Lord. Let every person in this congregation be saved, oh, God. Let every person, oh, Lord, in this congregation be born again and surrendered to your will. Oh, God, and let us win souls for you, win more people to you by your power and for your glory. For your glory, for you are deserving. For your glory and your honor and your praise and your blessing, O God. All for you, O Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Almighty God. O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord. Yes, O Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Jesus. Praise God. Okay, saints, we'll see you tonight for prayer and leadership seminar and so on. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.